This is the Cinema for All podcast. The celebration of going to the cinema with Jack Chell and Abby Standish. Welcome to the Cinema for All podcast. It's Jack and Abby back for season two and we've missed you! We miss you! If you're new to us, hello and welcome. We're from the Cinema for All team and we're a national charity based in Sheffield in the north of England and we help people all over the UK put on their own cinema screenings in their community. If you're not new, thanks for coming back, buds. Our podcast is a celebration of going to the cinema. The people who create cinema, the experiences, the people behind the scenes, the whole thing. We just love going to the cinema. Last season we talked to film programmers, directors, volunteers putting on screenings and this season we're doing more of the same but really delving into what makes the cinema such a special place. For us, films should be a communal experience so expect to hear a lot of cinema memories, sneak peeks behind the scenes and much more this season. Yes, exciting. (laughs) So if all this talk about cinema experiences has got you want to start your own community cinema, go to our website after listening, cinemaforall.org.uk get in touch to find out how you can start your very own community cinema. We, we will, will help you! Back, baby! Back, baby! So today we're opening up the season with a bang. We've got writer and broadcaster Danny Lee talking about his cinema memories, haven't we, Abby? We do. It was such a nice day. We took him to the Aberdale Picture House in Sheffield, which is this gorgeous 1920s cinema. Uh, and it's been kind of built up and redone but we'll save that for when we get into the episode yeah i can't wait to hear it um but first we want to talk a bit about what's been going on in the world of film since we last talked to everybody abby you've been to the cinema since we last talked i have i have believe it or not i have i've been in there quite a bit it's a good place to go in the summer for me it is Um, air conditioning yeah air conditioning quiet um my favourite thing that I saw over the summer was the Jaws re-release. Oh, nice. It was so good. Right down to this film itself. I've seen it re-released before maybe 10 years ago when I was working in the cinema, mm. um, which I loved then. And that's what made me vow to see every re-release going because it was just such a good experience. But the audience was just so nice. So that the, there was a family next to us. All in like Jaws t-shirts. You could tell like the younger sons and stuff. It was the first time they were seeing it. Um, There was a couple next to us. It was the first time they were seeing it. I went with a friend and we'd seen it so many times, but it still scares me. It is still scary. It's It's very scary. scary. Oh, like spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it. (laughs) I mean, spoiler alert. Sorry for spoiling this film from a very long Um, time. I don't want to get that How many years? (laughs) 75, I think. No, no, it's not. It was, it came out in 75. (laughs) (laughs) That would be quite an anniversary. Yeah. How many years is that then? 50? Uh, Oh God, no, don't. 18, 90, 5, 15. This is good counting content. (laughs) (laughs) For the listeners at home, Abby is using her fingers and counting. I am, because I am really bad at maths. I am, like, ashamedly so. I had a tutor. Um, We're going to say, how many years then? You guys are better at maths. 44. Producer Jay jumps in with 44. Okay, you take your bets. (laughs) Take your bets. This is Um, not a maths podcast. But... (laughs) (laughs) But it was just so good how, uh, you know, we, we are blessed or un- or or cursed if you will it depends on your standpoint with CGI these days so it was really cool to watch a film from 1975 where even when you see the shark it still looks pretty good yeah and there's a headless bit and that's really scary 
just some of it's devastating as well. It is. Uh, it's 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 really upsetting. It's yeah. very troubling. But yeah, I'm glad that it still scared the pants off you. It did. It did. So it still had all of its power. I also watched uh, Hats Beat Loud on Netflix. Oh, nice. Kind of cute. I'll just leave it at that. It was kind of cute. Oh. Um, I saw the first Monday in May, which is a documentary which I really enjoyed, which is about um, the Met Gala. Oh, we're a bit obsessed with the Met Gala. I am obsessed with it, despite being one of the most unfashionable people in the world. I like watching you have fashion. Fashion. You have fashion. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and it was just interesting to see what goes into that exhibition and all the kind of celebrity and media around it. It was just kind of intriguing. I didn't know a lot about it. And I also watched the McQueen documentary shortly after that. Oh, wow. So Double sad. fashion. So good. Double fashion. Mm. Um, Maltese Falcon. Oh, lovely bit of classic. Yeah, a bit of classic. It was in this kind of like noir gift set I got a long time ago. And I was just delayed in watching it. It was okay. Mm. Not the best, not the worst. Oh. I feel like Double Indemnity is my fave of that kind of ilk. Oh, yeah. Along, obviously, with the big sleep. Oh, that's a good one. That makes me want to stay inside on a rainy day and I watch know, that. That's like... the right kind of atmosphere for that. Absolutely. And I also watched Toy Story 4. Oh, did you? Yeah, it was quite cute. We what, didn't need it. Why have I not gone to see it? I feel like I've missed the opportunity to see it. But Oh, you can watch it, you know, like Boxing Day at home and the sofa would be quite nice. That's a good idea. My yeah. dad would like that. Yeah. I took a look. I, I took... Um, uh, with my friend and her kid we went to see it so it was nice to see it with a kid Yeah, but obviously we were big kids as well because we were children when Toy Story well you time. were okay I was a child I was, I was a, I was a children when the Toy Story one came <laughs> <laughs> what about you what have you seen oh I've, I've had some nice cinema experiences actually over the summer so I went to what I've been calling the David Lynch weekend at home which is an independent cinema in Manchester Um, so much amazing David Lynch stuff's been happening at home over the summer and the exhibition is still on if you want to see the exhibition of a lot of his artwork really comprehensive brilliant brilliant exhibition very immersive Um, but there's been a lot of films on as well films his films films that he selected Um, so I went along to see the collection of short films so somewhere um, his very old films from the 60s and 70s like Grandmother um, up to stuff that he's made more recently and it was just absolutely brilliant to see those on a humongous massive massive screen and I also saw uh, three episodes of the new Twin Peaks revival from season three so episodes one and two and episode eight which anybody if anybody's a Twin Peaks fan they'll know that that's something that would look spectacular on the big screen so really really great both absolutely packed screenings and the TV stuff was free as well so it was really really nice to go to something that loads and loads of people wanted to go to completely packed out and to be able to have that kind of free experience as well was just spectacular. Really, really good stuff. Uh, another great cinema experience I had was I went to see uh, a documentary called Company Original Cast Album, which is just a 60-minute D.A. Pennybaker documentary about the recording of Company um, the album. So Company's a Stephen Sondheim musical. It's really, really spectacular, actually. And the uh, the challenges that the cast have to record it kind of in one night. It's kind of a one take scenario. You Otherwise, they're gonna have to with pay. This documentary. Yeah, I, I love absolutely it. love it. I've had to go out and buy the album of Company just because I want to listen to it and relive it all the time and practice the songs at home. But <laughs> it's a it's a really really intense bit of. Um, cinematography really documentary making so I'd recommend if people can get a hold of that I think it is a little bit hard to find so thank you to the showroom for digging that one out Um, 
but it's it's really really good if anybody's into musicals and the BFI have got a big musical season coming up towards the end of the year I would really really recommend people dig it out or just go and listen to the company soundtrack on Spotify because that's what I've been doing pretty much every day ever since um, so that was a good one um, I also did a bit of catching up so I saw High Life the Claire oh, Denis yeah. film which I had very high hopes for um, because I love Beau Travai because producer Jay put me onto that one mm-hmm. but did not like High Life even though yeah. I'm a sci-fi gal did not like it thought it was lacking substance it was just a bit shock value and just kind of rubbish didn't like it um, and then caught up at home with things like 8th grade um, Book Smart I liked 8th grade didn't like Book Smart as much I think it was aiming for that kind of female buddy buddy thing but it was lacking heart for me it was not it didn't hit the mark of a lot of the other female buddy comedies that we've seen that have been coming out of the last couple of years yeah I thought the same I, there were parts I really enjoyed about it like I liked them particularly the Beth character but there were just little bits where I don't know I've, I feel like I've seen ones I like more than that that kind of buddy yeah. movie. but you know glad it's there yeah I am um, almost immediately after watching it I watched Fighting With My Family which is the film the biopic of the WWE superstar Paige um, who's actually from Norwich and comes from kind of a, a family of wrestlers that quite, kind of like backyard wrestlers um, and I absolutely loved that that was had heart all over the place really really sweet really really loving film um, and if you like wrestling it's it's great yeah, and it's got Dwayne The Rock Johnson in it. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Apparently he produced that yeah. film and um, he knew that he wanted to make that film about Paige for such a long time. So originally there was a documentary on, I think it was on BBC Two, made about Paige and her family. And The Rock was in London when it was screened. He was filming uh, Fast and Furious Oh yeah, five, six, seven, who knows. Yeah. Um, and he watched it and he kind of became obsessed because obviously he's from a wrestling dynasty himself. Mm-hmm. Dynasty? Did I say dynasty like an American? Never mind. Um, and so when he um, encountered Paige at WrestleMania, um, he said to her, I want to make a movie about your life. And he did eventually. So, so pretty, cool. Pretty I feel cool like if story. he walked up to you and said something like that, you'd totally believe that that's what he's yeah. going to do and it would happen. Absolutely. You, nice. would, you believe what he says to you. He comes you across as a very. Do you smell what The Rock is cooking? He's cooking up great film. He's cooking up earnesty. He's a very <laughs> earnest man. <laughs> I like a bit of earnesty. Yeah. I do. It's good. Is a word, producer It Jay. is today. Earnestness? Oh, well. So it looks like we saw quite a lot over the summer. We saw some serious stuff, saw some daft stuff, some family things, some docs. We like it. We like a whole host of stuff. I want to see it all. Yeah. Hey, I got a question for you, Jack. Okay. So in the 1920s, when they were just looper films so everybody could see it again and again and again, I wondered what film you would choose if it was on loop at a cinema like that. Ooh. To show and loop. This is very appealing. Also, it could be a nightmare. It depends what film you chose, well, really. It could ruin your film. but you could ruin gotta, your film, could ruin your life. Risk it. Um, I'm going to choose something upbeat and I'm going to choose a musical and I'm going to choose Funny Face, oh. which is a Fred Astaire and Audrey Hepburn film from the 50s or the 60s, I can't remember, that I absolutely love. It's just very, very colourful, loads and loads of amazing dance sequences, great musical numbers. It's an absolute production, so I would love to sit and watch that on repeat. And can we go there now and do that right away? Yes, I agree. She's oh, been such a delectable goof in that movie. She is. I absolutely love it when she's doing the dance sequence in the jazz bar, and she's it's... got all black on, but she's got these little white socks. 
socks. Yes. Um, because all the classiest cats have white socks. That's oh, so good. Such get, get that watch. I'm coming to your cinema if that's on loop. Okay, let's go. Uh, speaking of, I asked Danny a similar question. So when we took Danny Lee to the Abbeydale Picture House, which is so gorgeous, we went on a little bit of a tour mm. with somebody that works there, our old friend Mark, who used to work with us, and telling us some amazing things about this place. And then we got to sit down with Danny and talk to him about his cinema memories. Oh, I can't wait. Let's get into Let's it. Let's get into it. Well, we're, we're going to take you to Abbeydale Picture House. I don't know if you've ever been before. I haven't. It's this beautiful, beautiful building. And um, we're going to meet our friend Mark, who used to work with us. You probably met him at the conference a number of years ago, but he now works here. Um, and he'll tell us a few more facts. Cool. A lot better than I will. But um, it was a cinema in the 20s. And right up until like the late 30s, I think. And then it just housed sound equipment. Okay. Reopened as a cinema in the 50s until 1975 and then um, then just stored office equipment <laughs> until 1991 and then and then people kind of took over it and it's been a bit of like a kind of collaboration of people in the city that have wanted to like reinvigorate it so it does screen films as well as other things okay. like band bands and things but uh, they do have some really good film screeners in there and it's a really beautiful place I've only ever been in it once into that main room Okay. But I'm excited and we just thought it'd be a nice place yeah, definitely. To, to chat about cinema spaces just generally. Yeah, this is like this used to be the, the kind of main entrance box of this store. Amazing. Would you mind giving us a little a little call then? And some any hacks that you can wheel on? Any facts? Yeah. Is this the original part for instance? It, <laughs> it is. Like it yeah, it's got it. It is, yeah. yeah. It's covered in like a sort of skin. Like a... Uh, you can see it down there, it's still going. Oh, yeah. Oh, they covered it over, I think, putting carpets down or something. Which just seems criminal. Oh, my. Here we go. Oh, wow. So, yeah, look at... Oh, my God. Look at the greens. It's, I was going to say, it's this colour scheme original. Uh, so, when it opened... It, so, it first opened in December 1920. There's no definite records of the colour, but they think it was like a sort of creamy, off-white sort of colour, which then had, like, red. Um, so it's quite Art Deco, isn't it? Yeah, it was very old. It's, it's an Art Deco kind of building. Like so that was the colour. this, like, aqua... This, that, this is a beautiful wall. I believe it was when the Star Cinema Group bought it. Uh, they can't pin down the exact date when it was repainted, but it was somewhere between the 1950s and the 1970s. It's, yeah, so it's, like, it's, it's a very vivid, isn't it? But, yeah. Yeah. But they changed. The they, and gold. They that looks like it was like, left like that. It's like yeah. it's, there's um, a photographer whose name I will remember, I'm sure, but who did a whole range of pictures in, in Butlins in like the late 50s and early oh, 60s. Wow. But everything was like it was this kind of aquamarine and yeah. bright red, and it's like that visually, isn't it? Like the colours. It was kind of like. Their branding colours. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like bits of it, you can't really tell the, the exact original colour because it's kind of been. Everyone used to smoke in here. So <laughs> it's kind of like it's been stained with tobacco and age and dust and pigeon crap. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and these green seats are these. Um... I think these were donated. This is before we took on the building as a project. These, I think, came from the Octagon. Oh, wow. When they, they had a refit. And the the, the, green, the green seats had a whole lot of fun. They do. They these like yeah, these like, um, very yeah, proud yeah, green yes. seats amongst. These are my nan cinema seats. Yeah. <laughs> God, it's a big old place, though. Oh yeah, it's colossal. 
How many, so, wait, in balcony included, how many seats is there? So, at the minute we have 350 seats in here. The original capacity was 1,600, I think. Wow. And people used to queue, people used to queue all the way down Abedale Road, just to see wow. what was on. But yeah, it was built, it was built as a cine variety venue, so if you follow me, you'll like this room. Cinema was pretty new and people who were still kind of like unsure about its future and how it's going. <laughs> so people were treading the boards. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, they were, literally. Uh, so this is the fly tower through there, which is, was the old stage. Oh, and wow. How high do you think this That's is? That's quite high. Right? It's about 40 metres, I think. This is awesome. Isn't it? Just, just the for the... Height, um, yeah. Didn't I just? Listeners' purposes, we're in a really, really huge brick wall building that is also the, the was a theatre, and it's got lots of um, lovely wooden old uh, tables and chairs. It feels like I'm in a like a school refectory from yeah, yeah. Oliver or something. I don't know how I would respect would describe it. It's amazing. Is it the height of the room was for kind of like backdrops and things that they'd use for the plays. Right. So all the rigging, it's called the fly tower. You'd fly it, take it up into the rafters and try to keep it out of the way and drop stuff in. God, this must have seen some things, this, this <laughs> space, right? Definitely. This place is incredible. Isn't it? Are we allowed to see the projection booth, Mark? Yes, I'll take you right up there. Nice. Hold on, I'll be right with you. We'll go along the balcony. It's full of rubbish. Okay. It's been abandoned. So we want to reopen this at some point, but like, it's just little things like this not being regulation height. Right. So we have to put a handrail on it. So I was going to say, because by modern standards, you think... Yeah, yeah. it just feels like a death trap, doesn't it? Just, just a little, little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, you can see all the damage in the roof when in the 19, late 70s and into the 80s, they turned it into an office furniture showroom. Yeah. And they literally just used it to sell swivel chairs and, <laughs> and desks. And they put a suspended ceiling in here. So okay. they knocked all these holes through the vaulted, vaulted ceiling, the plaster work, to put the cables in to put on those horrible polystyrene oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. suspended ceilings. They look like bullet holes. <laughs> Don't know. Yeah. It's amazing. It's so dilapidated. Survived the wall, but can't survive the uh, office furniture. <laughs> the office furniture. Did survive the wall. It was a, uh, we met a woman who was here during the Sheffield Blitz, and they stopped the film halfway through, wow. and everyone went downstairs into what's now Picture House Social, into the ballroom to kind of keep out of the out of the potential wow. harm's way. So we mostly screen um, digitally from hard drives and kind of Blu-ray discs. But we do have two 35mm projectors up top in the projection booth that are both working. Have you screened something on them in the last few years? Oh, nice. Oh, wow. That's even weirder seeing something like that here. Perfect place. (laughs) Perfect film for the venue. Definitely. Perfect venue for the film. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Beastly. Yeah. Wow, they're, they're, they're kind of managed by um, the Projected Picture Trust. Okay. Who, do you know who the way of them guys? I know the name. Yeah. So they are basically a group of enthusiasts who, when cinemas stopped screening so much from 35mm and film projections, they just went in and salvaged stuff, took it away, put it in warehouses, and stored it. And then, um, yeah. 
they just kind of manage it. They came in here, installed these two projectors. They're like 1940s Italian. They were made in Italy, these ones. But they basically come down and just maintain them, can run the screenings wow. for us. There's a guy Amazing. called Dion, who he was a projectionist at Cannes for 20 years. And uh, he was the projectionist, get this, you'll love this, <laughs> for the UK premiere of E.T. for Steven Spielberg. What? Wow. Interested with the Spielberg. They need to have a plaque. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. what they should be. So the guy who kind of looks after these, that was that his job, just for most of his Spielberg life. Spielberg, E.T. projectionist. Yeah, oh gosh. isn't it? Yeah, you can see uh, yeah, Italian cinema canisa. Milano, Italy, yeah. in, in my most Italian dulcet tones. Like. That's very Italian. Yeah. Ah, yeah. it feels like we could travel through time. Exactly. To Italy. If we switched to it Italy on to Italy in, in, in 1982. In, yeah. There's a, tra a trailer for Cinderella. Oh my. <gasps> what? Oh, what? That makes my heart swell. Does it? I, lo I love Cinderella. Thanks so much, Mark. Yeah, this is. This has been really incredible. cool to get to come inside here. Yeah, yeah. I've always wondered what it's like. Yeah. No, no. No, no. Yeah, because this is like 80s vintage. So yes, this is probably yeah. the sort of cinema seats that I grew up in. Yeah. I think this is like in the, in Goldilocks and the Three Bears. I don't yes. know if you know it. I, I'm familiar. Quite niche. Familiar. Um, and they talk about the perfect armchair at one point. Does, does, and do you think she? it would be, do you think it would And be this is it. This is mine. I wouldn't want to eat porridge, you know. Mm, I think I'd be alright in porridge in this. Porridge has never really caught on as a cinema food though, has it? No, it's quiet. But what would you have actually? I'm trying to think what you'd have had. What hot dog actually think about it? Yeah. So yeah, what what would have been the classic? In the, the 80s. 20, oh, in the well, 80s. Well, no, the 80s would um, be yeah, hot 80s dog. 80s would have been hot dog again. Nachos. Were they introduced? No, then? no, again. Cup holder, nachos. I mean, these are all quite. I'm not a nacho fan. Modern. I used to have to serve that cheese sauce, and I, I, don't, I don't agree with I it. I got briefly addicted to it. Um, God, it's just. But, it's then right I, but then I stepped back and I thought, what is this? Yeah. And I thought it's nothing good. No. It's nothing The and hot it's not dogs cheese. as well. I've told, told Jay about the hot, the hot dog story. The, I mean, they're, they're fine. They are fine, yeah. but they're also horrendous as well. From a from an usher's point of view. Well, also, haven't they been sitting there on those strange roller things for some days? So the rollover hot dogs had the rollover. We went didn't have that etiquette where I went. We had something a box that you poured water in, then it steamed and it was on for about fifteen hours a day. Oh, God. Uh, they're already cooked. That's just to like warm them up. To keep them clammy. Yeah, and then you'd have to put a to keep them nice and clammy. Mm. Yeah, to feel like Blood the palm of a stranger. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what the, they feel yes, like. Yes, like, like a stranger's horrible hand. Yeah. But back in the 20s, what would they have done? Well, could you eat in the cinemas then? I don't know. I think they did have popcorn and like nuts. Nuts. Things like that. Nuts are quite noisy though. They are, but they were a noisy crowd then, though, weren't they? That's you would true. scream and wail and clap Ooh, and lots of dance and participation, this. exactly. Yeah. Well, how would you feel about that? Would you be Would you be all right in a 1920 cinema? In a 1920s cinema, um, yes, I think the general mood of, of rowdiness and raucousness I could I could be quite at home with. Um, once you lapse over into like, audience participation, mm -hmm. I'm out. I think that's part of the magic is that also is that separation, but you get to find. I feel like. Um, Getting to see characters live through something and you don't have to, but you kind of want... Yeah, you yeah. may have thought these things or felt these things that they have, but you get to see how it goes for them and you're, yeah, you're yeah. in the dark and no one can see your expression. But you're with everybody and I think that's my perfect for, for, so, so, so form it, of like contact. So it's at, one, <laughs> at once collective and communal, but also furtive. Yes, nice. yes, it yeah, is. It is yeah. like... Given that, and people approach this very differently, 
do you stick around for the credits? Because some people use the credits as a sort of as a sort of psychic buffer mm-hmm. to compose before yeah, yeah. you and get people, out. And there. I've seen people doing that and pretending they're actually waiting to see like, who the gaffer was. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested. Right, if, who it was? Exactly. Not, I haven't got something. In my now head. I think this reminds me of the, the Best Boys previous work. Um, <laughs> but I wonder if they. But it's weird though because I obviously, I mean, I get very wrapped up. But then there is something, maybe it's years and, and age and practice, I suppose, I don't know. But I will anticipate that final moment and the final moment comes and then it's the cut to black and the credits and I'm out. In the 20s, you know, they used to, they would like put the film on again and again and again and people would kind of run back right through to watch it uh-huh. from the beginning yeah, again. Yeah. If you were going to do that, what, what film would you pick where you would happily... Oh, seriously? Go, go wow. get, a, get, get a refreshment and come back and watch it all over again right away. Oh, my God. What, what on any given day of the week? Well, just, like, just you know, okay. and anything. It might not even be your fav- favourite film. Well, uh, OK. So one answer would be Mulholland Drive mm-hmm. because of the nature of the film, because the yeah. film is like, you know, this Mobius strip that kind of starts where it ends and ends where it starts. And so I think it would kind of lend itself to that. But also, if I was just going to actually just have something on like constant rotation, mm-hmm. so there's just that sense that at any given moment it could be playing. Um, I don't know, it'd be like a Marx Brothers movie or something, or like mm-hmm. a Buster Keaton film. Um, simply because you, because the thing about those movies is you can just join in wherever. So actually you could, you could walk in one moment and be halfway through the film. Yeah. And you could walk in one moment and be near the end and we'll just wait for it to restart again and it kind of doesn't matter because what's the magic of those films is that they're so delirious and so there's these kind of it's not about the intricacies of the story it's just about this kind of series of incredible ecstatic hilarious moments happening on screen yeah so actually so in terms of that conversation about about something just being on a loop i mean i think that would lend itself to it very well i think Um, it's a good choice what was your first memory of going to the cinema and what was it like and where did you go? Um, it's a really tricky question to answer because I've got sort of... I, th- I think I've got a memory of seeing something really hugely inappropriate, not in a kind of, you know, uh, sort of sexy or violent way, but just in a, in a sort of mind-blowing way. I think I've got a memory of seeing 2001 with my dad, who was a bit of a hippie, and him taking him along to the cinema. And I think I checked this out years later, and I always thought, was that, wait, was that a dream? Because I just remember seeing this film... And it just meaning nothing to me on such a profound level, and me finding it so so disturbing. And yet, on like something, I could sort of recognise something in it. Um, and I think there was like a reissue of two thousand and one around when I was like little. Um, I don't know five or six. So it is plausible, and it's the sort of mm. thing my dad would have done, just like come down to visit me in Brighton and sort of thought, well, we'll go and watch two thousand and one, of course. Um, <laughs> so, but I don't know. It's a weird thing. This is the thing about cinema, isn't it? And movies. It's like you know your own memories get kind of caught up, and I don't know. Uh, I can't vouch for that being true or whether it was just a figment uh, of my adult memory um, then I got really obsessed with Watership Down and I went to see it or more accurately like I made my mum take me to go and see because I was only six so I went to see it sort of pretty much like every day of an Easter holiday um, so that was another one um, you, you were prepped for Mulholland Drive if you were constantly seeing Watership Down I really <laughs> Watership Down and it's funny though because again so I saw that quite young I was like very, very into it. Um, but you know, I've had a kid since myself and I remember sitting there thinking when he, when he was six, so would I show him Watership Down? Mm. What, what sort of maniac would, you know? <laughs> and that's no reflection on my mum, it wasn't her fault, it was me that was you know, that agitating to see it. <laughs> six year olds can be hard to say no to. But I do definitely remember and that will have been in Brighton, sitting there wa- watching Watership Down like multiple times. Wow. Yeah. Was that at the, at the Dukes? Or that would have been, well no, weirdly, I think that would have been like whatever, you know, 
whatever the, the, the multiplex was at that point, so it'd be like the Brighton Odeon on the seafront mm-hmm. or something. Um, the Dukes, weirdly, I mean, the Dukes, Duke of York's played a massive, massive part in my life. Um, a bit later, I remember, I think, weirdly, my first memory of, of going to the Dukes, I must have been about 10 or 11, and I went, again, during a school holiday, and I think I either went on my own or with a mate, and they were showing loads of episodes of The Monkeys um, <laughs> and the Monkeys film Head. Um, and I think because we all liked The Monkeys, we went to see it and then we saw Head, which we weren't. We, again, too, there's a thread always. There is a lot of, of, of <laughs> people, you know, seeing things slightly too young. Um, I think more, I mean, it was more that it just completely freaked us out more than anything else. Um, but that was definitely my first experience with the Duke of York's. And then the Duke of York's became, as I sort of went into my teens was like a sort of local hangout and me and, and me and my sort of nerdy friends spent a lot of time at the Duke of York's. Nice, yeah. nice. Um, okay, which is yeah. this kind of, I mean, again, it was, well, physically it's not so different actually, I suppose, from, from where we are now. Um, you know, we didn't think about it at the time, but I, you know, when I go to the Duke of York's now, it's this astonishing piece of, like, yeah. sort of old world cinema, um, you know, the architecture of it. But at the time it was just, it was interesting. I mean, that was one of the advantages of, well, the advantage of being in a place like Brighton was you had, you had the Odeon and the ABC um, and you had the Duke of York's as well. And they were two, again, and I'm not sure if this would be quite the same these days, I don't know. They, they, they were very different, both just, not just in terms of their sort of aesthetic and their, and their, their atmosphere, but also in terms of the kinds of films that were on. Mm-hmm. Hugely, hugely different propositions, you know. So, because the Odeon was Rocky Three, you know, yeah. and, and the Duke of York's was all sorts, you know. And then I was doubly lucky, I suppose, because because my dad was up in London um, and stayed with him, and that was that was obviously a whole other thing, because um, there were sort of cinemas around sort of Labrock Grove uh, and West London, where he was living, and then there was eventually there was the Scala, which was a big thing for me. And King's Cross, which is really a really famous, still really spoken about cinema today isn't it I know it's not cinema anymore yeah no no absolutely Um, yeah and it had been because it had this weird life beforehand I mean because the Scala cinema I later found out had been elsewhere than King's Cross so it had been in a a different part of of the centre of London yeah so it had been on Charlotte Street or just off Charlotte Street which is off Tottenham Court Road Um, but then it had moved to King's Cross and King's Cross the King's Cross site had had this incredible history where it had been a (laughs) primatorium directly before so that would have been like an old massive great music hall venue but during the 60s um, and 70s it had been a primatorium so a monkey house essentially and when they reopened it it did smell of monkey (laughs) Um, and it had also been a a concert venue so like really famously the cover of of Raw Power the Iggy Pop LP was shot at the Scala. Um, now I came in like very, very, very much at the end of, of, of the Scala's kind of reign of glory or reign of terror, depending on how you look at it. Um, I mean, I was sort of 16 or 17 and weirdly, because of what we were just talking about, um, it's funny, I mean, the Scala, it, you know, I think for a lot of people and for a lot of filmmakers as well, the Scala was this very important place and it's where they, they encountered, you know, Russ Meyer and John Waters, you know, so there was all that sort of like that yeah. kind of glorious trash on one hand and also, you know, Tarkovsky, you know, on the other. And for me, it was actually weirdly, it was the Marx Brothers. So I went on, I must have been like 16 and I was just bored and, you know, I went to the movies a lot, but I'd never actually seen, weirdly, I'd never seen the Marx Brothers, I don't think, at the cinema. I'd only ever seen them on TV at sort of, mm-hmm. you know, Christmas when I was a kid. Um, and so they were down to the Marx Brothers, Triple Bill. Um, and I'd heard the name of the Scarlet, and I went along and it just, you know, and, you know, you just fall in love with a place and a, and a moment in time, really. Because they were playing it. For me, at 16, it was everything. It was, you know, you walked in, it was this, this dilapidated, you know, crazy old building filled with some very rum characters, you know, like proper sort of, you know, subterranean London. Um, And then there was like, you know, Joy Division playing through the speakers. 
and then there was the Marx Brothers. So it was kind of, I mean, none of it made any sense whatsoever. Um, but I fell in love with it. But yeah, it was very much at the end of it. I mean, I was that kind of last, the last generation. So I was sort of 16, 17. And then I went to the Scala quite a lot. Um, certainly whenever I was up in town, I used to, up in London, I'd, I'd, I'd make a pilgrimage. Um, and then the place closed down in 93. So I sort of, I was very much that sort of that last generation who sneaked under the wire nice. with the Scala, you know. Sneak, sneak to think Scala would like like that. Yeah, I think they would I mean, it was it's funny because it was just so, you know, you think back and think it was just more than anything. It was just it was colossal, absolutely colossal, and mostly really empty. Like like actually, at any given moment, it's like a lot of kind of people's cultural memories. It's like punk, you know. It's like actually, you know, most of these incredible seminal punk gigs there were like fifteen people. Yeah, it's yeah. the same with the Scala. You know, so you know, you'd go along. I remember going just before it closed. They did. Anthony Perkins had, had died, and they had an Anthony Perkins triple bill, and it was like Psycho, Psycho Two, and something else, which I've the, the time has claimed my memory of it. Um, but I remember sitting there, and, and the Scala was a vast place. But and sitting there, and it must have been like it was me, my then girlfriend, who I'm now married to, and like six other people. You know, a couple of people were just like and it was all local, kind of you know, like rough sleepers as well, who just came, yeah. came in for a nap. I mean, that was always part of the thing at the Scala. Um, I do picture it a place where like anyone's going to walk into the film at any point. Oh yeah, very the, much. The, so. It's not the, the film wasn't really. I mean, there was a bit of that. I mean, there was you know there was sort of cinephilia going on, but it was interesting because there was very much at that moment. There was like the Scala thing and the Scala sort of tribe, which was basically just a sort of tribe of people who didn't belong in a tribe. Really. I mean, that's why the, Mar- <laughs> that's why the Marx Brothers were so perfect for it because it was always you know, Marx Brothers thing was always whatever it is I'm against it, you know. Um, and the Scala always felt like that. It was always like this vast group of people who couldn't fit in, in anywhere else in any other social situation, but they fit in in the Scala. Mm-hmm. I mean, also it's because I mean I was doubly excited by it because most of the people there were that little bit older. Because mm-hmm. when you're, you know, you, it's easy to lose sight of this. I think. But when you're 16 or 17, you know, there's a sort of sweet spot. Because when you're 16 or 17, like 30, it's just gone, dead. But like, <laughs> but like 24 or 25 year olds are quite exciting, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it felt like there was a lot of sort of 24 and 25 year olds, you know. Who, and obviously, and also part of the deal was they were just completely, if they ever even appeared to notice that you were standing there, they would just sneer. And that was great. I mean, that was, kind of, that was part of the whole thing. Still right? noticed at one point, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, notice is a notice. You didn't want to be... It's, like, it's the thing about kids, isn't it? You don't want to be... Again, again, like the Marx Brothers, you don't want to be anywhere that you're welcome. You don't want to, you don't want to go anywhere where they say, come in, kids. It's like, that's the last place you want to be, you know? Um, yeah. What would you say are some of your favourite things about cinemas as spaces? Um, I do like the anonymity, which, which makes me sound slightly... Furtive, um, but I do like that sense. I like the anonymity. I like the sense of you can be anyone doing anything at any given moment in time, and then you can just slip in um, and have this experience. Um, and I like the I like the way it can be. It can be a life changing moment, or it can just be ninety minutes sort of vanishing on a on a stray evening or an afternoon. <laughs> I like the multiple purposes that the cinema can serve. So it can be somewhere where people are becoming, you know, very engaged by and immersed in and transformed by astonishing storytelling. And it can also be a place where people are like getting off with each other in the back row. Um so that's what I like about it, you know. And I like the again, I think it's one of the reasons I, I always think, you know, cinema should be Affordable mm-hmm. because I like that. I love the potluck of the cinema, mm-hmm. you know. And I like again that was the thing about the Scala. And some of that you can't. Some of that's very difficult to hold on to anyway because you know the more the catch twenty two is the more you get into films, you know, the more you find out about films, you can't help you know 
finding out more and, and, and as a result of that knowing what to expect more you become more attuned to stories and you seek things out you know and and um, you're aware you know you go to films for a specific reason and then it, the film will do something either in line or out of line with what you expect it to be whereas the beauty of it sometimes I think you know certainly when you're a kid is not knowing what the hell this thing is mm-hmm. and that was what Duke of York was very good at because again by the time I got to the Scala I did kind of I'd had I'd like heard of things but the Duke of York's you know we were just kids and I think you know the, the, the big sort of formative one for me that I always come back to was this double bill at the Duke's of uh, a razorhead and blue velvet and it was when right and the blue velvet was just coming out so this was like new year 1987 and I was 14 um and I don't know actually whether I knew what, like what David Lynch was. My mate Simon, who I went with, I think he knew because I think again because we were into punk, and I think maybe the connection was that like a Razorhead was a big punk sort of, uh, sort of piece of iconography. And the Dead Kennedys were always talking about a Razorhead, so maybe we knew about it that way. But I don't know that I actually was certain who David Lynch was. And then I saw a Razorhead and mm-hmm. it <laughs> back to back um, at like you know the definitive 11 p.m double bill at the Duke of York and that was kind of great actually that's one yeah. good way to find out who he is yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> definitely yeah. you'll definitely I, know how he thinks by the end of that yeah yeah um, and I definitely you know and I remember and it will stay with me I think because it has stayed with me for a really long time since you know um, that moment you know we talked about it earlier about you know the moment after the movie and I've got such a vivid memory of me and my mate Simon stumbling out onto the Dukes and the Dukes I'm pretty certain because it has now, and I think it must have had then as well, this sort of checkerboard tiling outside. <laughs> right. So it felt very, you know, coming out at what would have been by then like half two in the morning, which when you're sort of 14, coming out to 15, it all feels very illicit anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and standing there having just watched, because it was amazing, the thing about that was, you know, after Razor, it was Razorhead and then Blue Velvet, and the whole point was that Blue Velvet felt reassuringly normal yeah compared to a razorhead definitely came out and it was like oh god life is not what I thought it was and then blue velvet was like okay listen there's like a detective like you know feels more like an equilibrium there was stuff to cling on to although you still you know by the end you're kind of you know you're wobbling a little bit Um, (laughs) and you know I've got this very very pristine memory of it it's funny this can't be what how it actually played out because there will have been an audience full of, of other people um but my memory is just standing there, me and my mate Simon, outside the Duke of York's, and like the, re- the whole of the rest of the world, you know, on this checkerboard little <laughs> sort of lobby, and the rest of the world all seeming a little less real mm. than it had three hours before. Do you know Amazing. What I mean? How do you think cinema's changed over the years, if it has? Um, well, I think they've become much more... Um, well, at least some of them, at least, have become much more luxurious um, and much more you know that you're in the middle of someone else's business model you know and you know that I mean a cinema and this is this is the thing you know all cinemas all businesses all enterprises will have been someone will have planned it that way someone will you know the cinema owners of the 20s and 30s mm-hmm. will have planned the number of seats that they could cram in you know um, but a cinema like this and certainly and then obviously the cinemas that you grow up with you know when you're a kid they feel eternal and they feel like they were always here mm. and they were always sort of you know it's like you mentioned about you know that idea of the film constantly playing like you know I think the cinemas that we associate with our childhood 
we always have that sense of ourselves just wandering in and the film playing and it was just always here sort of waiting for us whereas I mean on some weird level I do just think you know with, with the modern cinemas it just feels very much like because I'm old enough to have seen the change think yeah but this isn't what a cinema is this is because somebody sat there and thought about their profit margin mm. and I get that we all have gas bills to pay but that's one of the differences for me um, you know you're just aware of something which has been changed for a specific reason um, yeah, I mean, I think it would be too sort of rose-tinted and silly to just say, well, it's not the same as it was, of course. You know, it's like it's like 35mm, which is, you know, again, I get the theoretical magic of 35mm. I also grew up watching 35mm films projected, you know, horrifically, nightmarishly, horribly badly, which <laughs> and then just you know, things would just break down in the middle and the projectionist would have fallen asleep and all the rest of it. Um, you know, so actually, you know, the cinema of our childhood is very seductive but also you know you, you probably want to remember it with at least a little kernel of honesty now and again remember that it was also quite ramshackle and quite grubby a lot of the time mm, yeah. um, and you know in some ways cinemas are probably more welcoming spaces I mean I don't know I mean I think if the Scala reopened now in the form that it was that it, that it took in the 1980s I think people would be horrified <laughs> you know I think it's one of those things where like everyone loves it with hindsight but at the time it was kind of shady you know mm. it was, there was something very sketchy about the place um, you survived the tale so therefore it's exciting still you, yeah, you only exactly. had the, the no no it's that's the it. good that, that's it exactly um, yeah can also because I mean that's the thing I think you know because when you do that stuff when you're I was 16, 17 going to the Scala and you feel sort of invulnerable. So a lot of the stuff that was going on at the Scala, which I probably mm-hmm. thought, I barely even noticed all that I thought was kind of exciting and underground and, you know, punk rock. I'd probably be quite alarmed by it, <laughs> as a, sort of as a man of a certain age. Um, so I don't know, I think, you know, and again, I keep coming back to the idea that, you know, you were, I don't know, again, again, if you're lucky enough, I think certainly to, to live in, like, in in a major town or city as well, it feels like there are, there's a, diversity of choice you know there's lots of stuff at, at least if you catch it the first weekend you mm-hmm. know there's lots of stuff which becomes available these are very clean and <laughs> I don't know it just I'll tell you what it reminds me of Ravi I, I went to Toronto um, to the Toronto Film Festival um, which I don't want to speak ill of you know um, but the city itself and I don't want to offend anyone um, but the city itself I found oppressively nice and it, it just everything was very neat and everything was very pristine and tidy and orderly and it sort of looked like New York but then it wasn't New York I think mm. that's the thing I found very difficult about it and anyway and I remember coming back to the, to, to, uh, to the airport in a cab and the taxi driver saying you want to move here don't you and me sort of trying to find a way to politely say I really, I really don't um, but while I was sort of fumbling about for the next thing to say he said where are you from and I said London he went ah oh, Toronto it's so clean by comparison isn't it and I remember sitting there thinking I don't know if I want clean Mm. I don't know if I mean clean is not a bad thing but clean is also not like my a1 priority for like the place that I want to live and I think the same is true of cinemas um you know I've been in actually weirdly more in America than than here but I have been in cinemas where mice have run up my leg and it's (laughs) always a slightly unnerving experience but again I mean you know I think you can I don't know there must be a place for the mouse still, even now. Yeah, right? I think definitely in here. I was going to say. I, mean, <laughs> I feel like definitely. There's in here. a lot of mice in here and a lot of ghosts as well. Do you feel like you still get the magic of cinema like those first few times when you went, when you see films now? Yeah, I mean, you know, a huge amount. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the whole point about about the cinema is it's 
it can only ever be, and this is it, it's part of the beauty of it. It can only be half the experience, um, because you know, yeah, you know, you can you can have wonderful nights at the cinema in wonderful venues, and actually the film is kind of immaterial, mm-hmm. you know. And equally, you can see amazing films um, which blow your mind in very anonymous. You know, you can see them sitting on a plane, you know. But actually, the, I think the, the 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 times that stay with you, and the times that will you know you assume kind of be playing in your last moments of consciousness. Um, other times where those two things have come together mm-hmm. and actually where you've got this incredible ambient venue you know there's something about the place something about the crowd and it's joined forces with with, with the film as well yeah and no, absolutely that happens i mean it's a bit of a, a, a kind of trite example because i think a lot of people a lot of people i know said this about the film but you know it's true get out was was a film which felt like a real cinema film you know and i saw it again actually think about it i didn't i saw it at the tottenham court road odeon which is not particularly like glamorous or exciting or interesting cinema but it's a cinema weirdly that i've got a bit of a relationship with because it was like my local cinema when i started university i've I lived around there for a really long time so I've spent a lot of time and I can think of like specific films I remember seeing like Seven on the night it came out in a packed house mm. in the Odeon Tottenham Court Road and it's just so that's almost an example I mean the Odeon Tottenham Court Road is a deeply again no offence to the Odeon chain but it's a deeply generic sort of you know local Odeon mm. um, but for me it means something sort of and yeah when you're watching Get Out which actually is kind of was, was it felt a bit like Seven just in terms of you know, the films aren't that similar, but it's that same sense of these are films that are best seen mm-hmm. with on a Friday night with 200 other people all just like gripping the sides of the armrests as well. Um, so yeah, I mean absolutely. I mean you know again it's like anything, isn't it? You know it's uh, the way you experience things when you're 15 is very different from the way you experience things when you're older. But I think it you know it would be a mistake to you know deprive yourself of, of the chance of the magic just because we're all that little bit older. Um, that was so good I think that Danny was so taken with the Abbeydale Picture House you can really tell that he's just like in awe of the place yeah he just loves cinemas and films and you could just it was so great to see him react to a space like that yeah. even though he's probably been in so many brilliant cinemas it was yeah. just so nice but it's a special one it's so it special and we're going to upload some photos of the Abbeydale Picture House to the website so that you can go and have a look at those and see about those beautiful seats and all those lovely colours that they were talking about in this segment so if you like this episode and you like the Sinful podcast, please give us a rate and review on iTunes. Share us on social media. We're on Twitter as Sinful Pod, or even just telling your friends about it. It goes such a long way. It does. But for now, it's time to roll credits. Producer Jay Platt. Logo designed by Lydia Lipinski at Thoughts Make Things. Hosted by Jack Chell and Abby Sandish. With thanks to Danny Lee, Deborah Parker, The Riddling Tron, Mark Riddington, Abbeydale Picture House, and Sheffield Live. The Cinema for All podcast is supported by the BFI, one in funds from the National Lottery. Thank, Thank you! you.